Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilavis. On this special bonus episode, we will be looking at the music, whether that is score cues and needle drops from Wes Anderson Films. This Friday, date of release, sees uh, the release of a new Wes Anderson film in The French Dispatch. So it felt like a perfect time to have a little look back and see something that always seems to be a talking point in Wes Anderson films, and that is that is the music. It's... Uh, it's, it's always it's always something that, um, I don't know, a lot of discussion goes into, whether that is his kind of amazing needle drops, whether it's the Rolling Stones or the Kinks or, or whoever. But yeah, on this uh, on this episode, I'm joined by Adam Znady to really go through his top five on both of those categories, as well as uh, I put, put it out to the Twitterverse and um, social media about other people's favourite cues and needle drops and yeah so we dive into those as well before we get to the the top spots as they were so uh thank you to everyone who sent in their their picks is uh always greatly appreciated when people get involved with the podcast you'll get a lovely shout out when your pick is uh talked about on the pod so um yeah i guess that all that's left to do is to join an academy uh, for privileged kids, join um, <laughs> a underwater explorers. You can you can join a dysfunctional family. You can run away as a boy scout. You can do whatever. But what we can do is make some Coppola connections. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by a musician, a skater, a marathon runner, a bassist, a synth wizard, a band leader, and Wes Anderson fan. You may know him from the Physics House Band, the Go Team, or his own solo project, as well as the founder and band leader of the band that is very pertinent to today's chat, Wes Anderson. Of course, that Venn diagram of credits and accomplishments belongs to one man and one man only, Adam Znady. How are you, Adam? I'm doing very well, thank you. That was a delightful intro. You've uh, you really butted me up. <laughs> I'm doing good, man. How are well, you doing? I'm very, I'm very well. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be kind of having a deep dive into the music of Wes Anderson and kind of picking your brain uh, as somebody who is in is in the trenches of of studying the the scores of Wes Anderson films. Uh, I just wanted to know, like, where did the idea for Wes Banderson come from? So um, I literally just wanted to, I guess this is kind of a, I would suppose a jump ahead to probably what I would have said a little bit later on. But um, this, I did that. I basically wanted to do a live version of the Ping Island track, uh, Ping Island mm-hmm. Lightning Strike. And I wanted to do that for ages uh, with all the outfits and uh, just, do, just do one video session genuinely for my own amusement. And then, and then I, and then after like about two years of thinking this, I was like, wait, hang on. There's probably some kind of demand for me to do maybe more than this and make it into a show. And then it's one of those things where you're just like, oh yeah, no, that's, that, that's actually an idea you could do. So, um, 
Yeah, that was literally it. It's 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 like there's a it's a like a one and a half hour show which allows me to basically play one song that I wanted to play for the, <laughs> the last three years. But um, but I've always loved the um, the the soundtrack music. I've always been super into it. I I like a, like ten years ago or so I downloaded downloaded because it's hard to get some of that stuff legally um yes all the all the soundtracks like the the scores in particular um and i really really got into it and so i've always loved um the music so yeah i'm just it's it's really exciting to play some, this stuff live which i i don't think a lot of people or anyone's really covered uh this no uh, this breadth of work, especially not the um, there's, there's been people who've done kind of like the songs, as it were. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, done uh, like the, the, uh, the Stones covers and Van Morrison and you know Nico, but I don't think uh, has really looked at the Mark Mothersbaugh um, and Alexandra Duplat scores. Well, I, yeah, I used to live in Brighton, and like I remember yearly there was the like wes anderson kind of festival they put on or there was the white wall cinema club used to put on like the wes anderson nights and there would always be like bands playing the hits from the needle drops yeah and i I think that that niche of like because was is it was there ever was there ever a thought to be like we could throw in a couple of needle drops here because I, I i know there's one in particular that we'll talk about a bit later that i feel like almost burgeon like blurs the line between sound like very much is in keeping with the score that it's from well that, like i would say there are a couple of needle drops in this but they're not going to be um it's not going to be the obvious ones um, and whether I'm like absolutely shooting myself in the face by not, <laughs> by not doing it, I don't know. That's to um, yeah, we'll let the the, the feedback forms uh, decide that one. But um, no, I I just think I you know not not to sound disparaging when I say this, but I think like anyone can do a Kinks cover, anyone can do a Van Morrison cover, anyone can do a Stones cover. Yeah. Like you can hear that anywhere. But yeah. what I really wanted to do was focus on a lot of the music that wouldn't really have been done or wouldn't have been done to the obsessive level that I wanted mm-hmm. to do it and to the skill yeah. level of the musicians that I've um, I brought in. And I'm basically, I'm, I'm basically employing my like a bunch of my best friends to, <laughs> to perform this for me. Um, and it's, it's it's like an excuse to get like the dream team of all like my favorite musicians together to and they're all unbelievable players to come and perform yeah. this music which is actually a lot of it's really difficult when you don't really think about it because it's so it sits in so well but there's yeah it's, it's a lot of it's quite pretty tough music yeah it it, it it sounds as somebody who's like very much a kind of hobbyist musician like i kind of i kind of li- i listen to like the mark mothersbaugh stuff and i think like that sounds really difficult. And then the next part of my brain goes, Vampire Weekend, oh, Mark Mothersbaugh, a lot of money for basically their whole career. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, um, I know exactly what you mean. Um, amazing. Well, yeah, one last thing before we get into your top fives sure. is, obviously, as a musician and somebody who's like been in bands, how 
important is that kind of mixture of sound and visuals to you? Because obviously, like, when it comes to scores and stuff like that, especially like Wes Anderson films, it feels like it's something that is very much thought about and meticulously planned out. And obviously, being in bands and doing your solo stuff, how, yeah, how do, do, do you spend a lot of time thinking about the visuals that are going to go along with the music that you create? Yeah, I mean, it, it all falls into the obsessive nature that i <laughs> I, I have um that um <clears throat> i've always done the music videos for physics who i'm not with anymore but i always did the music videos um mm -hmm. i've done my own videos for my project as well um and uh was really uh to put a lot of thought into how aesthetically this is going to look so i've got a friend of mine to do 20 kind of like short looping animations one for each song that's going to be projected behind us Amazing. and um yeah uh and just with live playing as well like I've, i i feel that if you're going to see a show you want to see i mean obviously it's dependent on the band some bands you know it's part of their show to like yeah. just not move and not perform <laughs> like if like i guess going to see kind of like peak pink floyd who are my favorite band they're not they're not really shaking around they're not really doing much movement but that's part of the whole thing and that that's great but um i think it's really important to take in the and pay attention to that like, the visual aspect of the performance as well and that's always been a big thing about me like how does it how does it look what what's also the texture of the sound how are they dressed how like how are they set up on stage aesthetically all yeah. of that just really um yeah i've got a pretty obsessive uh eye for that kind of thing so uh so the answer is, yes is <laughs> is that i think that covers it but amazing amazing well yeah uh, i'll just explain how we're going to be doing this for people listening at home and that is we're going to count down obviously five to one as top fives normally do but we're going to bounce between needle drops and score tracks so we're going to do number five of the needle drops number five of the score cues and work our way down and those of you who submitted your kind of honorable mentions and, and your favorites don't worry we'll get to them so uh yeah let's go with your number five of needle drops then adam so the first one is uh inner space or <clears throat> as it is listed on the soundtrack shark attack theme by uh, I think Australian Swedish composer Sven Liebeck. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Apologies to the Swedes <laughs> and the Australians out there. Um, so this is, I mean, I absolutely love the the whole kind of like 70s library music um, collection. Yes. So the KPM 1000 stuff, all the stuff that's coming out of Italy, the kind of like orchestral funk, so good. And this is, <clears throat> I guess... I don't know if he was living in Sweden or Australia at this point. I think it was Australia. This is something that fits perfectly into that area. It's just like really cool, groovy, um, like uh, library soundtrack music. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was it was for a movie called Inner Space, which I haven't seen yet, um, to my shame. But I'm guessing it's going to be kind of like a, a Jacques Cousteau-esque kind of like underwater documentary. But it's just... It just sounds really cool. And it's the first, yeah. I think, one of the first bits of music in uh, Life Aquatic when they show, right at the start of the film, they show the uh, Steve Zizou's um, 
most recent movie as part of the Lequesto Film Festival. That's the first. Per- that's the first bit of music that plays, and I remember like my, my ears pricking up and being like, "I really like that. This is a really cool piece of music." And <laughs> it's only when doing this project that I kind of delve deep to find out like who Sven Liebeck was and li- listen to his like wider discography. And it's yeah, it's awesome. It's really really cool. It's great. Let, let, let's have a little uh yeah as, mu- as much as i can play some of these tracks before yeah let's not go to it's the wild west yeah <laughs> <laughs> What I love about this particular track is the fact that when when obviously sent it over, I was like, I just assumed that piece of music when I watched the film was a part of the score. And then to find out it was this kind of like beautifully picked piece of library music or kind of like it, it belonged elsewhere, like really jumped yeah. out to me and been like, wow, that, that, that's what I love when uh, directors kind of pull out these things from the bag do you know i mean they kind of whether it's like with this one it's kind of an awesome two-pronged thing because not only is it a piece of kind of like pulled out of the bag you know obscure library music but it's also it's within the world of the film so it's like library music that is soundtracking the film within the world of the film and it just speaks so much um so randall poster is the um uh, music supervisor for Wes Anderson, and he's uh, he's the guy who come who I think I, I don't know what the split is, but he is responsible for a lot of like the iconic needle drops. He's the guy who put um, mm-hmm. so for wider context, he's the guy that uh, chose Cinnaman to go with the Thomas Crown Affair, and that became so synonymous mm-hmm. with that movie. Like this guy is unbelievable at kind of like matching music with film. So him and Wes Anderson are just like a match made in heaven, and. Yeah, like th- this, this, this tune in particular just grabbed me, and um, I'll take this moment to do a quick shout out to my friend Ash Gardner, who has uh, <laughs> love, who has very kindly lent us a vibraphone to use for the live show because renting a vibraphone is unbelievably expensive uh, for the listeners at home. <laughs> should you want to do that, so having a friend who owns one uh, and will provide you with one at a, a short notice is uh, a boon i'll tell you that amazing (laughs) and uh yeah let's well let me play uh yeah a clip from your number five pick uh do you want to yeah what 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 is your number five pick for me uh for so Uh, no number five pick is so first uh tune that we released as wes banderson which is the hardest geometry problem in the world and this is from the beginning of um i mean you guys might even know this so i'm not sure it's i need to keep saying exactly where it is but it's at the beginning <laughs> of rushmore where um uh my brain just went dead jason uh jason, jason schwartzman yeah jason when he Schwe- kind of has that daydream right yeah of, totally of, my of, bra- i was like jason schwartzman and my brain just went jason statham and then um <laughs> i was like that would be that would be amazing um yeah they should do a film together i think it'd be great um so uh yeah jason schwartzman who was part of the band that did the oc uh song 
my 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 favorite my favorite uh little little nugget that I always wheel out on this podcast. It is a it's a hot nug. Like yeah. yeah. The the couple of family just do everything really, don't they? Yeah, um, I always make the joke that because one of the questions I have on the podcast is who do you like you get to pick a member of the couple of family and then but in doing so you get rid of the filmography or the work of the rest of the family. <laughs> and then when people are like toying between one and Jason Schwartzman, I'm like, you also lose California from the OC. Like that Phantom Planet song is just <laughs> kaput. Like the, the Phantom Planet just drift off into obscurity because they didn't have Jason Schwartzman writing their absolute <laughs> banger. That's very true. I bet it's like immediately I will never, I will never lose Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> well, California's here's, a the, here's the hardest geometry problem in the world. That, that that feels like a perfect place to pause that because it's sure. how, yeah, how would I mean, how would you de- how would you describe the music of rushmore because it, it always feels like quite baroque right it's like kind of like twee baroque but like really technical at the same time yeah. like at the end of um the end of this track there's this absolutely batshit crazy flute solo which <laughs> <laughs> which uh, i i so um I, I I employed one of the guys in the band, uh, Miles, who's the uh, sac- ama- uh, unbelievable musician, like multi-instrumentalist. Um, he, uh, I, I got him on board to do kind of half the, um, uh, the transcriptions for and arrangements for the project. And I specifically gave this one to him because I was like, I have no idea what's happening in that piece. <laughs> uh, fuck it, you work it out. <laughs> um and um and yeah it's yeah it, it it it's really funny how it's all it's all very it's a lot like really kind of cute um i would say mm-hmm. no i mean maybe not cute i'd say it's I, th- I think what's amazing about um mark mothersbaugh and especially with this score is that he's able to be kind of quote unquote like twee and quite cutesy but it doesn't feel like it's twee and cutesy it's and maybe because there's just like there's so many crazy fast bits and i don't know i i i wish i could have thought more beforehand as to why it is but i've always felt that he somehow managed to just sneak it's either making like really twee stuff like super technical or making super technical stuff really twee and yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's it speaks the kind of like i guess maybe the the kind of innocence of max's character to a certain extent it's like the innocence of this boy, but with the kind of insane aspirations that he has to make these like hugely, crazy, beautifully staged uh, shows. So maybe that's how it's being reflected in the music. Yeah, and and the kind of like complexity and almost um, manicness of being a teenage boy, and kind of like, the music some some somehow reflects that in this kind yeah. of like, very. Do you know what I mean? It's it kind of. I think in that track at one point it kind of like builds up and kind of like gets to like a boiling point almost yeah it, it, it kind of felt like that yeah the whole score kind of does that and i always loved there's a story of mark mothersbaugh talking about when he scored 
uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. I think it was like the first thing he got asked to like do the score for. And <laughs> he was scoring it without realizing that you had to. There was like, obviously, the, I'm not sure if it would have been software at the time, but like that you could just sync up the music to the visuals, basically. And he he didn't know, he didn't have that piece of equipment. So like <laughs> every time he was doing it, he was just like trying to play it like along with it. And so, like, so people were like, where's the like, where's the kind of like cue points? Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas now <laughs> you would kind of like, you could kind of see it in like, you'd have like that, that, that bar underneath like, like sure. on iMovie or something. He was kind of doing it the long way around. And I, I love that, that innocence of like, yeah, totally. like he's, he's fallen into, to making uh mo- like movie music and yeah an- another lovely nug is the fact that he he scored crash bandicoot as well so that, that really got... yeah 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 Mark i Mama's had no bald. idea <laughs> i oh it, funnily enough in in one of those kind of like i'm really tired and i'm just gonna go on a youtube voyage um i ended up watching a half hour documentary on the way that the creators of bash cat uh, Bash Handicoot, Crash Bandicoot, uh, <laughs> hacked the PlayStation to be able to kind of like um, ha- like hacked its memory reserves um, to be able to kind of like make a game that shouldn't run on that machine run on that machine. Um, so it's bonkers. I mean, there's a whole technical thing we can go into, but um, I recommend you watch. But they didn't mention anything about Mark Mothersbaugh, obviously, because they were going deep into the tech stuff. But that's really cool. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think like part of it was like handed off to one of his like proteges at the time or something like that. But mm. like he definitely had a big hand in doing that score uh, for nice. that game. Um, and Mark Mothersbaugh perfectly leads us into your number four of Needle Drops, which is ah uh, gut feeling. This is such a good song. This is so it's it's so wild. And um, <laughs> so one thing that I really like about it which I think gives into its like uh, bizarrely cyclical feel is that um, it's a group of five chords. So as perhaps a lot of you know, generally any kind of like pop music track is going to be made out of four chords. Any kind of like big chorus or verse, it's going to be four chords or four bars where we've got like maybe one chord that goes over two bars and then two chords. This is a cycle of five chords. So it's like, it's a little bit weird. There's one extra, there's one extra like section every time the chords go around. And um, it kind of, it's the bit where uh, Team Zizou are training on the beach um, and ultimately leads to uh, Owen Wilson's character, Ned, um, uh, drowning, Um, but then being (laughs) resuscitated. Um, And it just, it just says something about kind of like, this team that are really that are barely held together and they're all kind of living this they're all living the kind of aspirations of this like narcissistic maniac um <clears throat> that is uh steve zizu and it's just it's just such a beautiful track it go it, it gets so wild um and i've i've always always like loved it because of just lo- loving how much like every time it goes around another layer gets added as well so it just it's just this yeah. building crazy piece of music and yeah Devo great band
one of the things I love about this song is this something I alluded to earlier is the fact that it sounds like a piece of music that I, I guess because it is Mark Mothersbaugh uh, is the fact that it it feels like it could be a part of the score in some way in yeah. the fact that like like the use of that like keyboard that comes in and stuff like that it, it feels like that I'm not sure whether that was a track that Wes Anderson said to Mark Mothersbaugh this is the vibe we want the kind of <laughs> yeah. uh, the Team Zizu music they're creating can you dig out that kind of like keyboard again to get that I'm not sure how how would you describe that kind of the sound that the the Team Zizu music goes for in the film um I mean I would say there's I mean once again it kind of fits in with the the mild aspect of innocence yeah if you like across I mean there there, there are fewer like the, the pieces for Caesar are, are I, I guess fewer and kind of quite different across um, across the board but if you look at something like let me tell you about your boat let me tell you about my boat right this thing is coming up damn spoiled that one um <laughs> Um, a lot of these picks are from The Life Aquatic because that is my favorite movie. And I, w- <laughs> and, and I would say, uh, personally, um, the uh, the best for music. But we can argue that in the forums <laughs> later. Um, uh, I think there's there's something about kind of like inflated sense of self-importance yes. that really is a constant across the music in this. It's just like, uh, just imagining kind of like a really, imagine like a like a, a hamster um, just kind of like thinking it's like king of the world and like flexing its muscles and being like, I'm the best, I'm the, I'm the best. <laughs> but it's like, you're, you're so, you're so cute. Um, yeah, I think inflated, I think inflated sense of self-importance in a very cute way, I think is a, something that works quite well for this. So even even that piece of music is just kind of like it's really driving and it's like let's go and do this thing, but it's also just a very weird like cute track. What what I love about the well, the, the all of the music for the life of Quite with Steve Suzuki is is it's like it's working on like three or four levels because you've got you've got the needle drops, you've got Sue George playing the Bowie covers, yeah. Then you've got the music that Noah Taylor's character is supposedly like composing. Yeah. That is like either piped in through the headsets, like making music, like, cause it is a film <laughs> about filmmaking, <clears throat> right? But it's, <clears throat> it, it's through this lens of this ragtag band of uh, oceanographers and kind of like, and it's that thing of like, this is, this is the, this is the nuts team you have to assemble <laughs> to make a movie. But, I'm going to make it really fun as opposed to being like a kind of stuffy film set in Hollywood. We're going to actually, we're going to go to Italy. We're going to hire a boat from Africa. We're going to like the the kind of set stories from that film. I always love when it's like they would spend all day setting up a shot and then they'd find out, oh shit, the boat has turned round because we're actually filming on the sea. And now we can see Italy in the background. It's like, well, that's ruined. We're going to have to like, we're going to have to call cut and then like, we're going to have to, yeah, let's let's, uh, get back to it tomorrow. Yeah. And then, and then obviously you've got Mark Mothersbaugh doing music that is 
away from that. So there's kind of like, it's, it's a real like higher wire act of kind totally. of the music balancing on these different levels. And it, it possibly is like, it gets the synergy of it really right, I think. In yeah. Like the, the, I think there's one, one film that kind of, I don't know, perfect, like, I, yeah, some of them really do blur the lines between what is score and what is kind of found music and stuff totally. like that but but this one i think like yeah it's a, a high wire act of kind of all these disparate elements that kind of fit together like yeah you've got yeah so i mean especially given the fact that as a lot of times you know you don't really know whether are you watching a film or are you watching the film within the film Yes. Like, is this, are we, are we, are we being taken on kind of Zizou's uh, curated narrative here or are we actually watching real life? Yeah. I remember there's one thing that I've only noticed recently where it's at the beginning where Astaban is eaten and I never really clocked this until the time, but there's, um, there's a point where uh, Zizou is in the, is in the water. He's like screaming like Astaban, Astaban. And then Klaus says, uh, he's got crazy eye. And it cuts to the shot of, of him with the red eyes. And I never, re- I never really kind of like twigged in my head. Like, oh no, that's, they shot that later. So, yeah. this, so, this, so this is actually in the film, in the film. They did, uh, like he was just afterwards like, okay, we need to, I need to get back in the water and I'll make my eyes red and we'll get this shot and we'll edit it into the movie which just adds oh it's so it's brilliant it's brilliant just how yeah, kind yeah. of like hilarity not his best friend has died and he wants to go in and get the shot of him looking like he's got red eye and it's just <laughs> and, and I, I didn't clock that until recently that that was in the world of the film a shot that was set up it's amazing yeah uh, so we're got, yeah we're going to be sticking on the mark mothersbaugh train for your number four score cue um, yeah apologies yeah, guys so, there's a lot of mark mudsdale no 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 don't don't apologize we'll get into the kind of uh your thoughts on oh i, I think there's a kind of uh a clear delineation of when we'll get into it actually it's my show i always i always feel like um it's kind of the life aquatic steve Cizé for me is very much like when we break through the Rubicon of Wes Anderson, like kind of l- playing in the real world to some degree. And then sure. after, I don't know, I guess the bridging film would be the Darjeeling limited. And then after that, we're very much in the candy box kind of, uh, yeah. Uh, puzzle box world of, do <clears> you <throat> know what I mean? Like shoebox creation of Wes Anderson, where it's like, then it's, Alexander de Platt comes in and it's very I don't know the the the, the scores take <clears throat> take on a, a totally different tone totally yeah well I, I think it's interesting you say that um uh dodging limited is the bridging one and I can generally I've been kind of like dodging limited is like the cutoff uh you know up and and like don't it's the last movie within kind of the Wes Anderson um uh, and I said, you know, we'd obviously get into this later. Uh, no, you know what? We'll leave that for now. We'll get into that later and we'll go, we'll do score stuff until then. But that's a really interesting point. Perfect. Perfect. Well, yeah, the, the, the next, uh, score cue is Mark Mother's bout with Sonata for cello and piano in F minor 
Inesco? Inesco. Inesco. I actually don't know. I should really know exactly. <laughs> but I, I just, I just copied it from the thing. I mean, the, but this is, um, so this is one of the pieces that we're doing with the group. And I've actually, uh, I've taken a couple of other pieces and kind of put it together with this to make kind of like an Archer Avenue suite. <clears throat> Amazing. Which is the suite about uh, Archer Avenue, the house uh, that the fa the family house uh, in the kind of fictionalized New York. I actually went to that house. It's in um, uh, Harlem. Um, and Amazing. I got a picture outside of it and I lost the picture. So <laughs> that's that story. But um, it, it's, it, it is really, really beautiful uh, in real life as well. And so this is the section where we're kind of, we're brought up to speed on where the Tenenbaum children are now um after i guess yeah the the childhood fame has disappeared and it kind of yeah it takes us gives us kind of a look at what, who and where the characters are at this present moment and it's it's a really cool piece of music it's kind of um very it's like orchestral but with some flamenco aspects to it and then it's got like about 5 seconds of reggae or maybe even three <laughs> seconds of reggae. And then it goes into this like uh, walking jazz baroque thing. And there's a drum solo. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just such, it's such an awesome. And this is the thing. I, I, I think what's amazing about um, uh, this one is there's, there's like a, a serious, there's a very kind of like academic seriousness about mm -hmm. this piece of music, which I think speaks really well to the you know, the promise of the Tenenbaum children and, yes. um, and, but the, there's like an aspect of kind of like sadness and desperation to it as well, which really does, um, mirror just how, you know, so much promise can be lost from having just such a, a negative familial, uh, environment. Well, yeah, there's, that's like, I, I feel like, your two picks from the Royal Tenenbaum, so we'll get on to the the next one next. Uh, really, really work well to the theory that uh, Wes Anderson is basically what well, I, I guess it's my theory. I've kind of been thinking about it a lot recently after reading that there's loads of Peanuts references yeah, in yeah. Wes Anderson films, whether it's like the way Max Fisher is dressed when he kind of like goes all sad during the winter and is wearing like basically charlie brown's outfit from <laughs> a peanuts christmas or um the use of vince grinaldi's like music in whether it's o tenenbaum like, uh, yeah o tenenbaum which is obviously just tweaked slightly and turned into the royal tenenbaums sure. and stuff like that and it the characters very much feel like and i think the royal tenenbaums is the most like it like what characters from peanuts would be like if they kind of grew up do you know what i mean like and you kind of like get that get that throughout them like i don't know like and i think in rushmore you get it because max fisher as much as like the teacher is talking to him she might as well be talking in trombone because he just doesn't listen to her <laughs> rebuke so he's just kind of like well i fancy you i'm gonna i'm gonna come after you anyway yeah <laughs> totally it's like the uh the words kind of bounce off his face and his like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's just, he just sees it as something to sharpen his like desire upon um yeah but yeah I, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest with you i haven't really watched peanuts ever. i know I, I obviously i know uh some 
a bit about it and a bit from uh delving in from the um the O Tenenbaum reference and a couple of the score pieces but uh but yeah i'm gonna you saying that i'm going to i'm gonna have a little uh little deep dive into that because that's really interesting Perfect. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play a little bit more of the sonata on cello and piano. piano. Uh, we've got that. We've got the reggae section coming up right here. Nice. Is that to reference when Margot Tenenbaum obviously has like there is that reference in the film? that she like uh had uh an affair with like a reggae artist and that's married to like married yeah 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 yeah. yeah. she married like a reggae artist of like i, I yeah i, I love those so kind good. of like little nuggets yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the the way it kind of juxtaposes in that score is yeah is, is absolutely fantastic and then it just drops into this like baroque walking bass jazz thing yeah it's um it's a fantastic pick man i love i love that um um, yeah that these the all these picks are kind of uh off the beaten track slightly and we'll well when we get to some of the fat uh, the listener picks we'll we'll hear some of the i don't know i don't think well we'll get into the idea of what is basic and what isn't basic because i feel like in film music that kind of i'm always it feels like a snake eating its own tail when it comes to how how music becomes like hack stuff like that because of its because of its association you know I like its association like when you look at um <clears throat> stuff that's in tarantino movies like it's hack now because it's because it is but like when you first watch that film you go wow that is a that is a great like needle drop or whatever totally. whereas like years afterwards you go oh come on dude, oh yeah of course dick, dick dale yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah, well, that's that's always going to be the thing. It's like um, things that are revolutionary at a time are going to be feel a little bit kind of um, yeah. Um, I'm going to use the word naff, even though I never use it. But I think that's probably the most like PG thirteen. Um, uh, that that's a really fitting word. Yeah, yeah. naff. But naff but, but still, like... that's like maybe I I guess when it's used by when it's used outside of its original kind of fun context, then you can be a bit like, nah, come on, like think of something else. <laughs> But then you hear it in its original context and it's just like you remember whether it's through um, uh, nostalgia or just because like, damn, that was a, that's a really fitting piece of music for this visual. Then you do go, like, oh, this is great. But, um, yeah. but yeah, when it comes to film music, there's, um, there's a great podcast called Composers which I really, really enjoy. And they, they, they kind of delve into uh, a different film each week. And um, I've learned a lot about film music and kind of like my like dislike for Hans Zimmer has like really, uh, no, I mean, not dislike, but kind of like wariness <laughs> of him has definitely grown since that. Him with his like army of ghostwriters. But, um, yeah, I, re- I, I recently listened to a... Um interview with Christabel uh Vandeveer, the the uh the composer of the White Lotus and Utopia soundtracks kind of um Ooh, it's like a, 
Peruvian, like Canadian guy sure. who, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if you ever saw the uh, Channel Four show Utopia, but this kind of like he kind of does everything himself, and the HBO show White Lotus has kind of blown up this year, and everyone's kind of like been turned on to his music. But like in this interview, he kind of like said, now that that show's blown up, like he's got everyone knocking on his door, whether it's Disney and stuff like that, and like really lays a dig into your hand, like the hands Zimmers <laughs> of the world by being like. I don't understand. And he obviously does understand. He's like, I don't understand how these people do so many scores because like, I, he's like, I literally work on one project at a time and then move on to the next. So he's like, I've just got a blanket refusal on everything at the moment. Yeah. There's a thing, hands in, but just like farts out a top line. And then it's like, okay, make a score. Come on. Yeah, yeah, Come on yeah, team. Yeah. No, he no, he's, he, he's. I'm, um, you know, this is there's a whole other conversation to talk about, kind of. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Let's yeah, slow um, down. It's, it's fun. It's fun to talk shit about Hans Hans Zimmer because he is the rock star of like composers. He ain't gonna, he ain't gonna be listed to this. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry. Hans, I'm sorry. Please, if he is anyway, please ha- employ Hans me one day. Please let me come and work for RCP. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even joking. I, I'd, I'd love that so much. But um, uh, oh, anyway. <laughs> Moving, I will happily be a le- on. one of the legions of ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 so, I'll wear a uh, like a collar. <laughs> Amazing. Well, let's let's uh, yeah, it's October, but let's get a bit festive with it and talk about your number three pick for needle drop. Yeah, uh, what is it? Uh, everyone's favorite Halloween song, uh, Christmas Time is Here by Vince Guaraldi. And we kind of touched on it just now, but um, I really like it because it's just it's just like a a weird moment of calm because mm-hmm. i feel like the film has just been building and building up until this point and it's just been kind of like laying on really laying the foundations for kind of what's happening the whole family's it's um in the tenenbaums uh, the whole family's coming back to the house it's showing their stresses it's showing kind of um uh the anxieties of the family and this I don't, you know, probably because the, the way it sounds, but it's just, it just feels like a, an exhalation. And especially yeah. what is also interesting is that I, I don't think it's Christmas time in the, in the movie at this point, <laughs> but for whatever reason, this piece of music is just perfect. It, it really is. It's just so, it's just the, it's the most Christmassy music I've ever heard in my entire life. And it's also just, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful oasis of calm in what has been like a real building uh, piece of cinema up until this point. What what I what I love about this, and I'll, I'll play it, is is the fact that like the kids, like it's got a kids choir on it, and it, yeah. I, I, I like the fact that it's like kids who can't really sing that great, and there's a kind of like charming aspect to it because of, of that. melancholic right it's really like totally. it is that thing of like it's almost like saying it's a sigh that christmas is here it's like <laughs> oh really christmas and yeah it, it leads us right back to peanuts it's um it's actually <clears throat> um i don't know I may, I may be like 
really outing myself as like a, a, a twee wanker here, but like <laughs> I, 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 I own the uh, Peanuts Christmas soundtrack on like green vinyl because nice. like I just there's some there's something about and like that uh, yeah the the uh, Vince Guaraldi like trio music it it's that weird thing where it's like it it almost doesn't fit like a kid's show and it, it's that thing of like it's it feels very like because it's it's they're a jazz trio right so it's like that thing of like you've got this like I don't know, yeah, like whether it's uh, almost like a jazz boogie-woogie with the kind of, uh, I think it's like the Lucy and Linus theme, the kind of main theme from Peanuts. Like, that's a, that is a banger. That's a, yes. that's yeah. such a good piece of music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh man, they must have been like, yeah, we, we fucking killed it when they wrote that. Let's send that. But, let's send that to them. Showing them, sh- <laughs> showing it to the the showrunners in the room must have been just like, yeah, you're gonna fucking love this. But then they kind of sneak in with like, yeah, like this melancholic mm. of Christmas time is here. O Tannenbaum and stuff like O Tannenbaum and stuff like that. It's like it all that all feels like very like I don't know, yeah, like dour, and I think very much fits the mood of who the raw Tenenbaums here and it's mm. that thing of I don't know yeah kind of uh, I need to google who who the yeah is it the same guy who did the um uh the same music supervisor on Tenenbaums yes was, yeah or... I, th- I think Randall Poster has been consistent throughout all of it so yeah let's 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 shout out Randall Poster because right. I think it is that thing that can happen a lot of the times when people go will just go it's the director. It's the it's their yeah. kind of record collection. I imagine there is a bit of that, but then there's probably going. Well, that piece of music costs loads of money, so like here's a selection of stuff. Yeah, that is, sure. Like, in our price range as well. Yeah, I mean, it it could be kind of down to the reason. Part of the reason we get some kind of you know frequently deeper cuts from well-known artists within uh, Wes's movies. There might be an aspect of him being like, okay, we can't get you know satisfaction so how about ruby tuesday something that's you know a little bit lower in the the price range but from the same artist and this actually ends up being just like a much better choice he he's got that to contend to and like all of the rolling stones tracks that Martin Scorsese's played in his movies, going like, right, that's off the list. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. We can't play. We can't, Scorsese's we can't done have, it. Yeah, 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 that exactly. Well. He's like, they're just cursing him, going, oh, he's he's used Symphony for the Devil. He's used, um, I'm trying to think, there's one uh, on the tip of my tongue, but like, I think it's <clears throat> Departed. He uses like, the same Rolling Stones song like three times and stuff like that, and like even he's like recycling himself. Um, I bet there's people listening to this going like, "It's this song." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, uh, well, your number three pick for, for your score cue um, weirdly ties into the Royal Tenenbaums because ooh. we we talked about this off mike but there's um the mark mothersbaugh did something for uh this piece of music which he um he, he took a piece of music from the royal tenenbaums score 
which is a piece called uh, Scraping and Yelling. Sounds a bit like this. Hmm. And what he did with it was he took the notes and kind of transposed them backwards to, yeah, to get your number three pick, which yeah. is <clears throat> Mark Mother's Bows. Let me tell, let you, me tell about, you about my boat. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, let's hear that. You, you, you'll, you'll probably be able to pick out if there is uh, any similarities in them uh, more than, more than I, I possibly can. But, um, so I think yeah. what he did, he play, he he took those here like boom dip boom dip dun dip dun dip. Excuse my horrible <laughs> uh, eternal uh, singing voice. Um, and yeah, played it like work, flipped the flipped it around so the notes are going backwards as to where they would be, and then sped it up to get these like beautiful <laughs> like quick runs. I think that's what it is. But yeah, it's such it's such a fun. Um, uh, yeah, we can we can just hear it. Yeah, it's that kind of like uh You'll probably be able to tell me like what it is that plays it, but that like kind of quick runs where we get the yeah. So it's like a different instrument each time, which 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 fits into his thing of doing like very kind of fun, playful, innocent kind of music, but just making it really hard to play. Yeah, almost like messing about with the idea of like obviously in a film you'll get like a motif, whether it's like Ario Morricone might have like a kind of motif and then it's played on a guitar at one point in the score and then later on you'll get it played on a trumpet yeah like a, a slower tempo here he's like i'm gonna play with that idea of motif and then just kind of go i'm gonna give you on each bar <laughs> each time it, it loops around on a different instrument to kind of mess mess about with have we got any more instruments here just fucking, can, you, can, you, can you play the harmonium all right okay okay bang out on the harmonium now all right one two and I I think from like no like I remember years ago so this might be a bit patchy but Mark Mother's Bow I remember getting the like two disc edition of the Life Aquatic with Steve Suzu like from HMV or something like that kind of taking a punt on it just because that striking cover and he talks about the way that he recorded music for it is kind of uh, very different to I guess how a lot of composers do it because he he recorded a lot of his scores in the way that you would record a band. I'm not sure if you know, but like he would record it kind of like piece by piece as opposed to like getting all the players in the room. And I guess that's down to financially as well. It's kind of a bit more viable, like getting, do you know what I mean? Like one one cellist as opposed to to several or whatever. Totally. Also with um, when you're getting an orchestra in to play music, you depending on the funding that you have 
generally it's difficult to have them. You have to have them learn all the music. Uh, well, actually, all the time they don't, they don't learn it. They'll they will come in and perform it sight read on the day. And what you're really trying to do is get the best possible performance of that music within the time that you have, because you've got mm -hmm. you know let's say forty, fifty. I'm not um, not an expert in the orchestral world, but you've got a lot of musicians, and you're paying for all those musicians' time on a day rate. And to pay them to rehearse beforehand is also paying for their time on a day rate. So it's a hell of a lot of money to get that many musicians to absolutely nail your piece in the session. And very frequently what you're doing is you're basically getting the best possible version of it on the day as opposed to getting a perfect version. So uh, in terms of money, it's... <laughs> a bit it, it's definitely cheaper to kind of like layer that stuff up um and also perhaps you perhaps you lose you know this isn't this isn't a film that wants this like grand sweeping kind of like john williams-esque score it's all it's it's very um uh what's the word it's um it's quite uh close intimate if you will Mm -hmm. um so it doesn't it doesn't really want you to have a giant kind of like chamber or a giant kind of you know symphon uh orchestra um but yeah it would make sense i mean him coming from a band perspective it would make sense yeah. for him to kind of record it you know layer by layer instrument by instrument and build it up in that way especially because of how kind of like fun and weird and cute like this that that track in particular is um like it all feels quite close and quite kind of like intimate yeah. and small i think that score might be the the perfect in like getting the right man for the job in the fact that kind of his like what what it sounds like his approach to creating music feels very much in keeping with the tone of the team zizu themselves in that kind of like well don't quite know he, he, even having like been in the game for i guess at this point maybe like 10 like over 10 years like doing scores mark mothersbaugh is still like going well let's try and like piece it together let's try and get like an orchestral sound but like all i know is how to do record bands so let's do it like that and sure. that's very much like in keeping with the way that team zz do it and yeah of course that 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 piece of music is beautiful and i guess is like from one of the most iconic moments from that film right yes looking at the cross section of the belafonte which is absolutely beautiful and it's just, it's one of those beautiful parts of the movie as well, which is like, are we, is this the film or is this the film within the film? Where, yes. uh, where, 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 where is the overlap here? And, or, 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 or is there a third layer where we've kind of stepped out of the film entirely and it's almost like he's broken the fourth wall? Yeah, like, yeah. You're an audience watching this. It, yeah, it almost turns into like this this play and those kind of any scene that's done in those cross sections i think we get that amazing scene later on in the film where it kind of like it's almost like a contained play where you've got people like you've got steve and ned having that yeah 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 walking throughout and you've got um kate beckinsale's character uh, not kate beckinsale you've got kate blanchett's uh, character yeah um kate blanchett's character following them and then you've got everyone doing all this stuff in the different rooms yeah and it's like if, yeah it just feels like you're watching like masters at work but could be an amazing I, I would watch like uh 
a life aquatic like uh stage production which just all took like place that on that cross section of the Belafonte. yeah 100 yeah, percent. yeah definitely like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I get that's the, that's the that's the natural next step for wes banderson right you'll be the you guys will be the house band for the where a, a life aquatic uh musical that we're gonna we're gonna pen right after recording this i would love this that. episode yeah, yes yes of course yeah <laughs> no, I'm, I'm i'm ready i'm uh yeah i i have no need for sleep um but uh but yeah it's interesting that i i can see that being something that he does eventually some kind of stage play um but uh but yeah i i, I that, that scene you're right that scene is really beautiful i guess it's just you're weirdly taken into a weird breaking of the fourth wall that you're right is not part of the movie or the movie within the movie it's almost like a bizarre infomercial that's halfway (laughs) just kind of cuts in for you to but but perfectly invites you to become a like a member of the team yourself yes being like like you're yeah almost like it's a kind of like um orientation video of being like this is where you'll be going for your spa breaks this is where you'll be going if you need like (laughs) to find klaus this is where you'll be going to prepare your meals and it's like yeah that's when as a fan you go oh i just i want to run away and join this ragtag bunch and be live on this ship for the rest of my days yeah totally and that's so true like if you join if you're about to join the crew you get that vhs and that's part of the vhs but yeah, your yeah, your orientation. Um, Perfect. But yeah, uh, so I guess next is uh, the next needle drop. Yes, which cue us up, and yeah, this this perfectly leads on to that that idea we were talking about of kind of like this is from the film that kind of is the stepping stone between the real world into Wes Anderson land. Sure. Or I. So that's an interesting one to to think about. For me, I would say that this is kind of the... I, I would say this is like the final movie in Wes Anderson, like version one, as it were. Or maybe maybe you could call Bottle Rocket version one and then Rush and Ron Woods version two. I don't know if you want... We, we could argue about this for, for ages. But, um, <laughs> but for me, I think this is the last movie where the... Um, the tonal shift that I found uh, from um, Fantastic Mr. Fox onwards was a shift from, I would say, character focus to plot focus, um, where suddenly, because up at, so, so for the films up until uh, Darjeeling Limited, like the stakes are pretty low for everything. Yeah. Like what, like the, the worst possible thing that could happen is that. Steve Zizou might not make another movie. Yeah, obviously, ob- yeah, obviously, yeah. there's 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 the, there's the suicide uh, moment in, um, uh, well, the kind of attempted suicide moment in Tenenbaums. But still, I would say that's a very that's a very personal stake, as opposed to kind of like big stakes. It's not like oh, the meteor is going to destroy the world kind of thing. No, I, I, I think everything up until that point is all the stakes are quite personal um to the people involved and it's centered around like a 
a core group of people. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Whether it is it is Max Fisher and the kind of Rushmore, the the place and the kind of inhabitants, if it's the Royal Tenenbaums, <clears throat> the family and the kind of people surrounding them or yeah. Team Zizou or, we, yeah, or or the the three brothers. Yeah, we feel in, like I, I would say it feels like you're stepping you're stepping into a little slice of these people's lives. And that, and that, and that's it. That's that, and that's it. You've kind, of, you've come in at a certain point where a lot of the time you come in, at, I guess, like a transitional moment in their life. But it's not, you know, it's not like um, uh, if Z, if Zizu doesn't find the jaguar shark, the jaguar shark's going to terrorize the beach forever. It's not like Jaws, uh, or the, you know, there's no there's no big stake. So it's really just kind of character studies. Ultimately, I would say. Um, but I think from um, Fantastic Mr. Fox onwards, here's suddenly where you get some, where we start looking at driving plot. Like, a, you know, where we're, we're kind of like pushing forward. Okay, um, there's, you know, the whole, the, the, the whole community is, is being threatened by, uh, by the farmers. They have to move. Yes. It's being dug up. Uh, what are they going to do? They won't be able to eat. It's just, this, suddenly, and then I don't know, you move on to... Um, uh moonrise kingdom where it's uh sam is going to be taken away by social services um and i think i think it's social services um so you know yes. if so he has to run away or else you know he's going to be taken away and that's that's a pretty that's a pretty big thing and then you get you know um uh grand Prix de pest hotel where suddenly it's the it's it's this kind of like uh Nazi Germany kind of um uh, analog as well yeah. uh and so there's these like big kind of there's the, the plot is moving there's i would say there's gags to kind of like keep people keep the attention going and um i would say that i understand that you know the movies fantastic mr fox onwards have given a given Wes Anderson I would say like a a greater financial reward I would say a wider viewership and um uh the um and, and, and I, I guess like maybe more critic mainstream critical acclaim because the because mm -hmm. the, the 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 critical like response to Life Aquatic and Dajing Limited was not great which baffles me completely mm -hmm. but it's because it's not it's like for a lot of people it's just not relatable it's like well i don't i don't care if this guy doesn't make his like his uh his wildlife movie why do why do i care i don't care if these guys don't kind of meet their mum or uh, they're just trying to work out their dynamic as brothers and then people you know and then people start focusing on kind of the uh the aesthetics and being like oh he's just using aesthetics to cover over kind of like blank stories or kind of like emotionless characters. Whereas I think it's, I don't know. I, I find the movies slight, and this is bad from someone who is trying to get people to pay money to come to a Wes Anderson based show. So I'm <laughs> once again, shooting myself in the face. Um, but uh, I definitely feel that for all their visual like splendor, I think there's some, uh, soul or the the melancholic like personal beauty that was in the movies up to Dajing Limited has kind of gone like the magic as it were and it's been replaced with something yeah. that's 
aesthetically beautiful. You can't argue with that whatsoever, but doesn't really, I would say, pack the the emotional punch of the earlier movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Definitely. yeah, that, thank you for coming to my <laughs> TED talk. But <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what that like? I think talk about the Darjeeling Limited is a very interesting one when it comes to music as well because this is the one where Mark Mothersbaugh has stepped away. Yeah. And this is like the kind of no man's land of composers because it's a score entirely made up of whether it's like Bollywood music yeah. or or kind of basically like kink songs and, and the token uh, Rolling Stones track thrown yeah. in. And then obviously it closes on your pick, which is? It is uh, Champs-Élysées by Joe Dassin. Je me baladais sur l'avenue, le cœur ouvert à l'inconnu. J'avais envie de dire bonjour à n'importe qui, n'importe qui. Et ce fut toi, je t'ai dit n'importe quoi. Il suffisait de te parler pour t'apprivoiser. Oh, Champs-Élysées. Of all the picks that you could have had from the Darjeeling Limited, what is it that kind of stands out about this song to you? Like, why did you want to talk about it today? I wish I I would think I've been thinking about this to try and really identify why I like this song so much. I mean, I really like sixties French pop. Um, mm-hmm. I like a lot of French pop in general. I think they've got um the not to kind of generalize but i think there is a sound that i wish i could tell you well, it's it's this that um kind of french pop and french music has which just it sounds very unique to itself um there's something that's it's it's almost like it's almost like a bawdy tavern song um mm-hmm. that kind of really signifies like coming together at the end yeah, yeah. um and especially after, I guess, you know, you've got a film with three, uh, three relatives, three brothers who are really just trying to figure out who they are and who they are to each other in the face of uh, the death of their father and kind of this, I guess, like the spiritual death of their mother because their mother's abandoned them mm-hmm. uh, again um there's something beautiful about this being a very kind of like coming together kind of like drinking song um yeah. <laughs> which kind of really in quite like a beautiful like mirthful way ties together this like pretty difficult movie um mm-hmm. and i wish i w- and you know i wish i could i still don't know exactly why it it, it um uh it resonates with me to this extent but i just think it's such such a beautiful piece of music to end uh end the movie with and it's yeah yeah and obviously the song is uh a cover right of uh waterloo road by jason crest as Ooh, well i did not I know it. that damn yeah, apparently so let's let's uh let's see if we can we can find that jason <laughs> 
Here we go. Oh, top one. Here we go. Walking down the street today, I saw a girl across the way. I asked her where she's going, and she said, Come with me. She took me down this avenue where I met the folks she knew, and there we stopped and chatted and we the passed chorus. the time away. Down Waterloo Road. <laughs> down Waterloo Road. Oh man, it's a bit too like George Formby for me. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, but it, it, it speaks to your thing of like an East End pub, like kind of piano. Yeah, song. yeah, yeah. It totally. has got that thing of like, do you know what I mean? Everyone's got their kind of like flasks of ale kind of. Join in with the chorus. and Davy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on now. Come uh, on now, you yeah. lot. Come on, lot. It's all down Waterloo Road. Come on. Cigarette in the it. hand, beer got, in the other hand, yeah. just like yelling. <laughs> Beer yeah. going everywhere. Beer flying all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, but, it's very much got that vibe. But like, but the French I, version seems it seems way that. more kind of like refined and yeah, S- slim cigarettes and an espresso yeah. on the go, right? Like kind of totally. Yeah, like it's, it's it's got a bit more class yeah. to it. Like, I, but like, I I I love that about these kind of uh, needle drops and stuff like that when there is this um thing of like could have gone like it's got the it's got the spirit of that original song but kind of like and it perfectly t- obviously ties the the film into depending on how you watch it i know like uh places like the prince charles cinema whenever they screen the darjeeling limited always have the um short film the Chevrolet, Chevrolet, yeah. at the beginning and it, it it ties it right back into that and obviously there's talk throughout about um jason schwartzman's character and how he like came straight from france and stuff sure. like that so like and it, it yeah it is it, it it leaves it open to where they're gonna go next yeah and this this togetherness that they feel and yeah it's a it's a, I, I love it whenever that like this for 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 whatever reason if there's something about like the kind of uh even even like the the Bollywood like tracks on the Darjeeling soundtrack, it's the one soundtrack I go back to a lot of. Yeah, same. Sanderson's. It's, it's, it's I kind of skip over that. Um, uh, what's like? Where do you go to, my lovely? Just because like uh, <laughs> like the brothers and the the fact of Jason Schwartzman's like incessantness to play. It's <laughs> kind of like gr- grating on me. <laughs> that's the uh, I, I love that song. That's his like fucking like hype up for sex song it's like you know it's, it's that thing where you know um I, I do it so much when you're you're driving you're about to pick someone up and you just like you skip back to the start of the song that you want to yes. them to listen to when you get in the car i'm listening to this um i think i've probably actually done that with that song before but um but once again that that's that that's, that's a song it's very much i think it's an uh i think it's an english singer but it's all about kind of like someone who two people who live in france who live in paris i believe uh so something that ties again once again into the, the parisian thing uh one thing about um joe dassin the joe dassin track uh which I, i'm thank you for showing me that original that has blown my mind and once again <laughs> i think it once again speaks of how interesting and how great the choices are for wes anderson like needle drops because there's always some kind of I feel there's always some kind of interesting story or some some 
it always pushes you to dig a little bit deeper. Um, uh, whether it's kind of like, oh, this is from an album by a band that I know really well, but I've never listened to this before. Or, um, but uh, I, I used to run, uh, co-run a, uh, a night in Brighton, like a, uh, like a club night. And I would always finish my sets like three in the morning with that song. And for some, <laughs> I think, I guess because it's such a bawdy drinking song, it would be kind of like a clear out thing because a lot of people would be like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm done. But there would be the people who <laughs> were like the group who would be kind of arms around each other, just kind of bobbing around to it. Um, yeah, yeah. It, I always felt like a it's, good closer for um, for a DJ set. It's definitely, it's got that kind of thing you can sway out into the night and kind <laughs> of like go on your journey wherever that may be. Yes. And it's kind of, yeah, the, the perfect song to soundtrack. Absolutely. That. So, um, well, yeah, I guess now we get to we get to have a little bit of a chat about uh, on, uh, Andre Desplat with uh, your number two pick for the score, and that is Adam. That is the heroic weather conditions of the universe, part one: a veiled mist. So I thought that um, I could have probably picked another uh, Mark Mothersbaugh track for this. <laughs> but I thought it would be good for me to throw a bone to uh, Alexander de Platt. Um, not, be not because he's not a great composer. He's, he's, he's unbelievable. Uh, his, his soundtrack, his score for the, I think it was like 2014 um, uh, Godzilla movie is awesome. Like really, really cool. Mm -hmm. I remember going to see that and being like, Jesus, this is... It's like seven. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, and I realized there was actually a, it was actually a, a redo of the original Godzilla soundtrack from, I think, the 60s, which is un, unreal. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, I thought it would be good to include, to, to not completely exclude him. And this is a really cool track. Um, it, it's one that will be, we, we will be doing live. Um, I think it's just kind of the, the nature of, how it's just so looped and how the tension yes. is kind of like built slowly slowly up and things are brought in and then taken away again and i'm not i'm i'm to be honest i'm not really that much of a fan of the stuff that he's done there's a couple of tracks mm -hmm. here and there that i really like and i mean they're the only ones i've included in our live set uh <laughs> um the, the but um but there is something really cool and interesting about about this one and i just love the kind of the the looped aspect of it um the version of it which i'm going to play now is one that's only on the soundtrack but um very much ties into something that happens throughout the the score of well no the the needle drops in uh moonrise kingdom is they got the young actor uh, Jake Ryan, who plays Susie's younger brother Lionel, to do a kind of Benjamin Britten yeah. style like introduction. So yeah, here's his here's him doing that for this this track. Now we will demonstrate the orchestration of Mr. Desplat's musical suite. A little electronic metronome sets the time. First, a harp. Next, pizzicato cellos. Flute and piccolo. 
Electric guitar. <laughs> it's really cool. I've got to give it to him. That is really cool. And it, and it very much speaks to that um, that idea of like how, what you were saying of like how the the bits come in and it like this this piece of music for me really does like set about an idea of I don't know like an impending like doom yes. that this film yeah. play, plays with with that kind of like a storm is literally coming and like it, it kind of feels like well yeah all the tracks share this same. DNA throughout them that it's it's not really it doesn't really shift too much it all kind of like he's like I've this is my toolbox of instruments and I'm just going to play with them and very much play around a similar theme right Yeah totally like I think I think all the Duplat stuff in this is a kind of variation of that piece um once again there might be people screaming at their um whenever they're listening to this on but uh but as far as i can remember yeah it's all kind of variations of this um alongside some really beautiful like benjamin britain pieces of music and like a couple of non-orchestral needle drops um there's the french pop uh tune on the beach and there's the yes. collider song as well um the kind of like country uh rambling kind of piece um, yeah, and we, you get a couple of like uh, Hank Williams songs, right? That's kind of like um, signifies Bruce Willis's sure, character, yeah. uh, Officer Sharp. Like that sounds perfect. Obviously, what he's known as like the kind of the sad cowboy, and it's kind of that encapsulates that character sure. perfectly. It's a really um, good role for so, Bruce Willis in this as well. Like I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> uh, Arguably, 2012 was the last great year for Bruce Willis, and I'm going to stand by that. Oh, jeez. Man, is this the Bruce Willis uh, spin-off podcast in the works? Oh, no, Matt. Like, it's, it's an ongoing theme on the podcast. I always <laughs> say that Bruce Willis... Bruce Willis doesn't get the flack. Well, Bruce Willis, yeah, doesn't get the flack that Nicolas Cage gets, basically. Like, everyone, like, says, like, Nick Cage phones it in and has been doing loads of shit and it's like bruce willis is actually doing shit and like, just <laughs> turns up for roles he's like but i, th like, but I you, think you he's doing at... it he's doing it under the radar that's the thing i think with nick cage he's he's you know okay he's doing some like spicier cuts which bring which yeah, yeah, which exactly. brings him to people's attention like I, I i i i love nick just because this is nick cage podcast we can talk about him for a bit i love nick cage i there's there's some stuff where i think okay i've i don't know what you're thinking when you did this but i guess you've done it yeah. but he is someone who when there is a director who knows how to use him he is incredible and it's just being able yeah. to put him in the right situation but um mm -hmm. i can understand with uh what, what would you say is um bruce willis's last uh film of of uh of repute I would say it's like twofold of Moonrise Kingdom and Looper. They were like the last two interesting ah, things he did. Looper, yeah, I, I I watched that, but I I can't remember. I don't remember being too taken with it. But um, okay. I I just think they were like they they were interesting. And I know he like crops up in Motherless Brooklyn, which is a uh, directed by Edward yeah. Norton, which like again feels like something that possibly came out of the fact that they would have met each other on the set. Sure. 
of Moonrise Kingdom. But like, apart from that, he's in like a film called Kill Hard, and it's like you're in films that are rip off <laughs> titles of like your biggest hit. Like you can't do that, like, Bruce. Uh, how much they're paying me? And no, <laughs> exactly. And to your point of Nicolas Cage, I've said it on this podcast, and I always love to share this um, kind of summation of what Nicolas Cage is like uh, and the directors he works with. Daniel Noah, the uh, film producer who produced Mandy and Colour Out Space mm. when he was on this show, said that Nicolas Cage is like a garden hose <laughs> and like you need, you need that right director to to hold on to it otherwise if they don't hold on to it the, the hose will just kind of spray water all over your garden <laughs> sure. just kind of be unwieldy whereas if you can hold that garden hose correctly you can water your plants and have a beautiful bouquet of flowers at the end of it and it's like that is nicholas cage in a nutshell yeah to me. it's like yeah he he worked he, he and it's that thing he just puts all his chips on the table every film and that's sort of like if it, like it, it ties back into the Coppola family with like Francis Ford Coppola, and the fact that like every film feels like he's on the verge of like I'm gonna go bankrupt. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's just like <laughs> let's just put all the chips on the table and see what happens. That's good. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is one hundred percent true. Like I'm, <laughs> I think it, I think it's it, it is beautiful. Just I guess the we we'll, we'll probably have to uh, turn away from Nick Cage for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> it is true that he is really, he is bringing something to the cinematic performance that no one else is really doing. And sometimes it's, that's the thing. When you're doing something that no one else is really doing, sometimes it's going to be good. Sometimes it's going to be bad. It's depending on kind of like, you know, you're going to have a hit or miss rating and the people, your collaborators in that moment are going to be the ones who are helping you steer towards, um, something great or something you know not great or at worst forgettable exactly um well talking about collaborators i just wanted to talk about yeah i put it out to the listeners of this show and kind of friends of the podcast to kind of come in with some of their like favorites and i'm, I'm not going to play all of them or, or or if any of them but like kind of like shout out a couple of like picks that that, that people um gave and if there's any honorable mentions you've got before we get to the number ones uh feel free to shout them out sure. Adam, but um let's hear let's hear let's hear some jeanette yeah we got um jeanette Barr from the sudden double deep podcast what up jeanette you said uh <laughs> she's got a um a, a real fondness for the jarvis cocker uh track that appears in fantastic mr fox the kind of like dopey oh. Peaty yeah, song yeah. That, Someone uh, that's like it's bad songwriting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you know, lazy um, songwriting. Is that it? I think so. I feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, no, Peaty. It's lazy songwriting. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's a fun, that's a good joke. And the, there's um yeah there's like there's something interesting. The thing I love about and that's hundred. I think it's uh the Bell Ives tracks that appear in that like um. Oh, it's like whooper, fooper, doobie doo, or something like that. Like the kind of like, it kind of sounds like these old American songs mm. that kind of crop up in Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I find like feels very weird because <laughs> it, 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 it's obviously like a very quaint British story. And then you got 
you've got George Clooney as, as a fox. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all kind of mismatched. Um yeah, let's rattle through some of these. I I've got to play this one just because like it kind of it is a perfect end track to a film and it's uh Ooh La La by the oh, Faces. Yeah, that's this, this got a couple of shout outs. The first time we get that ending slow mo uh kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, this was shouted out by uh Alexander Cronenberg and Daryl Bear, who kind of said like it it really both of them have said like it it kind of uh what well, Alexander said uh pairs the visuals perfectly and offers a needed dose of sentimentality to what's been a cold film. Which I, I agree with, like Rushmore and I spoke about it on the kind of deep mm. dive episode i did on it is like one of those films that when you look back on it it's like it's a bit it depressing feels like it's yeah, yeah and it's it's it you can look at it through different eyes depending on when you watch it like when you're a teenager which i imagine for a lot of us kind of millennials it would have been that thing of like oh max fisher's like is not aspirational but like you kind of understand his plight but then watching it through adult eyes you're like he's a bit of a dick yeah <laughs> yeah totally he's um <clears throat> it is it is just a couple of it's really about two very desperate men desperate sad men yeah. at different stages of their life so it is it it, it is One, really beautiful to end with that song to kind of yeah to give that catharsis uh um, but yeah shout to yeah, uh um, thank you mr cronenberg and mr bear both good names <laughs> oh, I, I i just assumed you're both men sorry that was they are, they are, yeah, yeah. Um, so we got, yeah, Rachel who uh, said, "I, I got, I got to agree with this." These days, by Nico in the Royal Tenenbaums. Which... I mean, you can't. It, it's it's undeniable. I mean, I didn't, I didn't choose it because I thought it would be quite uh, an obvious choice, not in, to not diminish the choice whatsoever. But yeah, I mean that that is unbelievable, and the, with the the sailors coming out behind. Uh, it's, it's ah, it's so good. What what I love about that song as well is like the kind of again, it almost feels like Wes Anderson knew about this. There's like a history behind it that it was originally written by Jackson Brown, yeah, who was kind of like one of Nico's. Like she kind of had a lot of toy boys back in the day when she was kind of like working out her solo stuff. And it, I, there's and there's something about Nico that she has a very like. Like Gwyneth Paltrow very much has sure. that, that similar aesthetic and stuff like that. And it, it kind of like when you learn about that kind of stuff works on this kind of, not not a relationship that shouldn't be, but do you know what I mean? Like she's a she's a much older woman, kind of like almost like abusing her power of <laughs> like, Oh, you're a young young songwriter. Well, I was in the Velvet Underground. Like, song. Let me let me stick yeah, let me steal your song. And then you've kind of got this Woody relationship in the world. Tenenbaums of like brother and sister, like yeah. should that, or like even though she's adopted, like should that? Be what going do you think on? of the Jackson Brown version? I like it. I like it. it. It kind of doesn't have that austere kind of. um I don't know. There's something kind of ethereal about Nico's mm. voice that I think just kind of really sets it apart. But the Jackson Brown one, it it's one of those sad things where it's like that will always be like the kind of second yeah, place that's the a lot cover. of the time because he, do you know what I mean yeah. yeah 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 even though yeah yeah 
<laughs> yeah, I I think um, I I think just because of how on the face of it, how weird the Nico version is. Because I I, I mean I, we can argue that Nico I wouldn't say is a great singer, and she's got a mm-hmm. yep, but yep. her voice despite that has just got such a strange like power to it, and especially the way the orchestration there and the strings and the kind of like the rawness of that. Um, the electric guitar being played. We usually have an acoustic guitar for that kind of tune, but the fact it's an electric guitar and it's, yeah, there's something just like that, that song kind of shouldn't work, but it does so well. Yeah. <laughs> and and like Jackson Brown does his version, which is this more kind of, I don't know, it feels like that's what the song, if that had come first, they'd be like, yeah, that song's amazing. It's beautiful. But yeah, he's... <laughs> uh, um, Sorry, yeah. What's the uh, what is the next uh, hot mention? Yeah, we'll just throw we'll just we'll throw out sure. a few. Just I'll rattle for a few. So we've got the um, the Kinks track that we get in um, Rushmore when Bill Murray's throwing ping pong balls into the pool, which is nothing in the world can uh, yeah nothing in the world can stop me yeah. worrying. Uh, which I think again like perfectly encapsulates that kind of the feeling of the character in that moment. And uh, there's a big shout out for um, the Sue George stuff on, on, on the Life Aquatic, which I'll just play a little bit of Life on Mars. Muitas vezes o coração Não consegue compreender O que a mente não faz questão Nem tem forças para obedecer what I always love about the Sujours tracks on that is apparently he changed the lyrics to to actually talk about what was going on, like in the film and stuff like no that. Way. So, like, obviously, if you if you, if you're Portuguese that, that or like understand Portuguese or yeah, you you can you can you get another dimension. That's, to, that's great. To what is going on? He's just kept them obviously within the same. <laughs> the same framework oh my god that's that, that's great i'm gonna have to read the translations that's really awesome and that that leads me on to the next one so it's jack gregson of the truly happily madison podcast what up, jack? Uh, said queen bitch from the yeah. end of uh life aquatic which again is another perfect kind of like stomping out like and the way that film ends with the kind of kid on his shoulders and then we get that scene of them walking down like the yeah. jetty to the boat and stuff like that has that feeling and it, yeah it's it's one for me i remember changing that was my ringtone for nice. a while like just for that and it's it's another kind of like it's not in the it's not within the world of the film it's not within the world of the film within the film it's this it's this mm-hmm. other like staged event for us kind of thing mm-hmm. which is yeah really beautiful about that Another one, yeah, so uh, Sam, I'm not sure what the surname is, but she said gut feeling, which, again, I think is a, a perfect needle oh, drop yeah. in a Wes Anderson film. We've obviously talked about it. Um, and then Liam H. Dempsey said basically all the tracks used in Darjeeling Limited, in particular Strangers at the funeral. Yeah, that's beautiful. Which, yeah, I, I, I love that and the... I'm trying to think what's the what's the uh do, 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 what's the track that's played like as he's running for the boat in that uh running for the, the um train this it. time tomorrow this time tomorrow yeah that's uh that is such a drop 
once again, it's it's something that it feels like it was written for that movie. Yeah. It's it's genius to choose that piece of music. Yeah, well, because the, the the soundtrack is basically um, Sajit Ray, like uh, yeah, uh, Sajid. It's like Sajit Ray movie soundtracks, and then three tunes from Power Man, uh, Lola versus the Power Yeah, Man, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like yeah, that, like that perfect blend like works works amazing, uh, amazingly well. Yeah, that's. I think that's it for for what people said, and I think like. Um, it well it perfectly leads us on to uh, does, does it well your number one um i've got to admit that your your number one pick for needle drop is a song ah actually before we get to that th- there's a point i kind of brushed upon uh, earlier which is that thing of music becoming hack and jack gregson also admitted like it's probably a bit basic but the needle drop of needle in the hay the elliot smith song in um the royal tenenbaums that's an interesting one because that feels like even though it fits in so well it feels like the one contemporary piece of or contemporary to the time mm-hmm. piece of music as opposed to the um <clears throat> like 60s 70s rock yeah. that is generally used in his movies and I I don't know. I wouldn't say that's hack. I think that's still, it's, yeah, it's outside the regular remit of drops for his movies, but I think it's a really, I mean, Elliot Smith, man, like if just, if you want to talk about writing like unbelievably excellent and so depressing music, then that's your guy. That I totally, um, I, I, and I think it just, yeah, it, it fits. It fits. Be- I, 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 it took me a while to get into Elliot Smith. I, it was one of those situations where I went to college with someone who really, really liked him. I didn't really <laughs> get on with that person that well, so I associated. <laughs> I was like, well, if Elliot, Elliot Smith must, must suck because if, if, um, if this is his, uh, his demographic. Um, but only a, like a number of years later did I really get into him and thought I've been missing out the entire time but i guess you, there's always like a there's always a certain time where a mix of your um you know the things you're listening to come to a point where you discover someone because you're ready at that time but um but yeah uh it's not it's not my favorite Elliot smith song but i think it's i think it's a nice choice so, i really do i think to the point of it like becoming hack it's that thing because it just works so perfectly within the film and it's like become almost like synonymous with that moment in that film is what mm. I think like is the and obviously feel free to correct me anyone listening if like especially Jack is your pick because obviously I'm gonna uh, I don't know surmise and kind of put words in your mouth but is that thing because it works so well that and yeah that that kind of melding of the the visuals and the sound and stuff like that is what makes it hack a bit right is the thing of like if you go our oh, needle in the hay and it's like that thing of like oh it's just uh it's just the where's and like, you, know, you only know you only know elliot smith because of where's anderson type yeah, thing. yeah almost like borders on the like posery aspect of it Do you know what i mean it's like i don't know if you said i really like uh me and julio down in the schoolyard it's like oh do you know that because your dad had a 
Oh, someone's watched Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, oh, no, 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 my, I, I'm telling you, my, my dad had a Paul Simon on 12-inch when I was a kid. Like, trust yeah. me, trust me. He used to play it every day, all day. <laughs> so loud. <laughs> yeah. It's actually really, really difficult growing up. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I know. I guess I guess it's because when, when something becomes, I get perhaps in the same way that when kind of like a, a pop song is so popular that it's everywhere um then it becomes almost a bit like oh why are you playing that it's been it's it has it it's 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 like an icarus thing it's flew it's flown too close to the sun done too well and then you just don't want to hear it anymore perhaps there is an aspect of that with these really kind of iconic needle drops where it becomes like a bit of an ob yeah becomes a bit obvious Mm -hmm. you know both within and outside of its context because it's like oh yeah we just know it because it was in this Mm -hmm. and yeah i get it um so yeah <laughs> but i think once again even even though this, this might not be the, exactly the point but even these very yeah these tracks that become kind of kind of hack they're one they are actually amazing tracks mm-hmm. and two it's def they're all kind of like really good looks at perhaps an artist's lesser known catalog yeah and and almost like delving into what possibly is the intent of the like the 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 songs themselves and the kind of deeper meanings mm. and kind of using like with that Elliot Smith song I know he's like a very troubled guy and stuff like that like so like de- do you know what I mean like delving into that um meta textual like thing to like as soon as you hear like for a lot of people as soon as they hear Elliot Smith they're gonna immediately be brought to a time like it feels like music that like when you're feeling a bit down you're going to listen to so yeah. like it's it's <clears throat> it's clever and it's like also disgustingly manipulative at the same time that they've gone <laughs> yeah. do you know what we've got we've got an attempted suicide on screen let let us wheel out the Elliot Smith, but it's, it, it fucking yeah, works. We are the guy who killed himself. Exactly. Let's, yeah. 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 <laughs> let's try and try to kind of squeeze every little ounce of emotion out of these poor viewers so they can really empathise with this character. I'm trying to go for that Oscar, guys. Come on, come on, wheel out that yeah. Elliot Smith. Yeah. Um. And the Oscar goes to Luke Wilson. <laughs> I repeat, Luke Wilson. Luke, where are you? Oh. Um, uh, I wonder if he he uh, kind of has that playing in his mind at his darkest moments. Um, well, um, talking of sadness, yeah, I wanted to say that there's something beautifully sad about your number one pick for your needle drops, and like even like since you sent me over the list of your your, your choices, it's a song that like no matter where I am, I like kind of I want to cry. And like it, it sends shivers up my spine. Um, so yeah, tell us what your pick is, Adam. So the final needle drop pick is Friday Afternoons uh, Cuckoo uh, by Benjamin Britten. And this is at the end of Moonrise Kingdom when um, Sam is climbing out of Susie's window to go and see uh, Bruce Willis, uh, going to be picked up by Bruce Willis. And it's just it's one of those as well where it's hard to put it exactly my i almost don't want to over intellectualize it even as a musician i could probably delve in and be like oh this kind of chord change with this melody means that you're going to be a, it's going to evoke a sad feeling etc but 
I think there's just, it's just like melancholy to the absolute core. There's so much beauty to it and yet so much sadness. And I think the lone kind of like uh, young, like boy singer um, just speaks to that, I don't know, that innocence and loneliness in such a beautiful way. It's, yeah, I I I wish I could uh, <laughs> be more articulate about why this piece of music just hits really hard in a really beautiful way, but it, it just does. I think just listening to it does put yeah, it's like it's like like bottled melancholy. Yeah, but it's a piece of music that speaks for itself. There's something hauntingly beautiful about whatever is sung after August. Like when it kind of like, it jumps up, do you know what I mean? It almost like jumps up an octave and I have no idea what they're, what what he's singing, but it's just like, that is a moment where like, yeah, like I I get a shiver down my spine and it's that. Yeah. I think also it's because it's being sung from the perspective of a, I can never imagine a tiny bird. Mm -hmm as well it's just that fragility as well and i think i think i i said it was a, a single um boy saying it i think it actually sounds like it's a group i, I forget i keep forgetting because it's just such a beautiful piece of music when i listen to it it's just it like transports you but yeah there's such kind of like delicacy and innocence about it with that very you know that very sad uh like descending chord progression but it's just yeah it's just that I guess like melancholy, but like really, really beautiful melancholy is especially after I think Wes Anderson is of all things, uh, of, I mean, amongst all things, he knows how to end a movie. Mm-hmm. He knows he knows how to do this kind of like bringing together kind of thing of, yeah, it feels like the same thing we talked about with uh, Champs-Élysées there's an aspect of like everyone being brought together in the end. And I think there's something about that with this piece of music as well. It's kind of that feeling of coming home and home might not be this like beautiful, rosy, amazing, perfect thing, but there's still a feeling of like coming back to oneself or coming back to those around you. And this song is just in, no, it would be good to kind of like do a playlist of kind of ending songs of Wes Anderson Anderson movies. Because there, 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 there is just that feeling of, yeah, arriving somewhere. What, what that song perfectly does is plays to the like melancholia that we kind of like get throughout the film. Because like you don't know, well, you kind of get a glimpse of what could happen next for Sam and Susie. Because obviously, like their their relationship is mirrored in Mrs. Bishop and officer sharp in that thing of like 
they could just grow up to like drift away and then she marries some, yeah. like a, a, a do you know I mean a bill murray type and that kind of like unrequited love kind of lost love and stuff like that and like i think it perfectly captures that thing of having all that optimism of first love and kind of being a teenager but then also like there's gonna be heartbreak like whether it's just life itself or kind of romantic heartbreak in the future and yeah it's a beautiful beautiful piece of music yeah totally (laughs) it's yeah there's not much else that can be said i think it is it is a piece of music that really speaks for itself and i think it is that yeah thing of absolutely like, I, I implore people I, I imagine a lot of people probably would have like heard that snippet and been maybe poured the podcast or listened to it and if you haven't do listen to the whole track and then yeah it's so it's really short as well it's just such a beautiful little piece and we will be performing it live as part of oh. our program for wes banderson yeah, so, uh, amazing well um yeah, let's get on to your final pick and wrap this bad boy up. What is your number All one right. score cue? My final pick. <laughs> the uh, the best, my favorite piece of, one of my favorite pieces of music ever created. And the reason that I created uh, Wes Banderson <clears throat> was to, by the way, just to touch on the name, I, I actually wanted to call it like the Wes Anderson Film Orchestra or the Wes Anderson Orchestra, something really <laughs> kind of pompous like that. And my and my friends were just like, Wes Banderson. Uh, I think it's, it's like uh, like Josh Gurner in particular, like an awesome um, uh, filmmaker. It was like, just call it Wes Banderson. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, I'll call it the Wes Anderson Film Orchestra. Like, no, just call it Wes Banderson. It's <laughs> like... Okay, fine. I'll just call it Wes Banderson. I don't. Know if I, I don't know if I can legally call it anything else anyway. So yeah. I th- <laughs> so where's where's Banderson? It is, and I'm glad I did because it definitely it definitely rolls off the tongue. Yeah, and I, I I've kind of like off the back of that like that like pun on, on obviously Anderson. Like whenever I talk about the the post Darjeeling Limited like era of his career, it's Wes Landerson now for me because it almost feels like a kind of like disney theme park world that he's created that all his characters live in <laughs> okay it, yeah, you, do you, know what I mean? you could imagine yeah totally somewhere in like italy do you know what i mean it's like uh you yeah. can see the vice piece now it's like where's anderson theme park open do you know what i mean like smoke cigarettes yeah. like margot tenenbaum and get lost down some rapids like sam chikuski or get chased by some made-up oh, nazis like yeah. budapest hotel <laughs> There's like pink Chesterfields everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On and yeah. <laughs> Where's that? That's really good. Where's Landerson? Yeah. Um, and yeah, what, maybe it's a separate comment, another separate conversation to really kind of like delve into all the particular areas why it's there's a difference in tone or feeling. But anyway, as uh, one might imagine, I'm not entirely excited for French Dispatch, but I'm obviously going to go and watch it at the cinema and give it my money. But yeah, I'm. It looks like it looks a bit more like more of the same, but we'll, there you go. It, it's kind of perfect because this conversation got um, like postponed, and it's just had its London Film Festival premiere, and a lot of the word coming out of that is like there's very much two camps on it. There are people going, "This is shit," and there's people going, "This is Wes <laughs> Anderson at his best," and like, m- sure, my my 
I, I'm obviously going to watch it because it's going to be covered on the podcast at some point because it's co-written by Roman Coppola and it's uh, and Jason nice. Schwartzman and obviously Jason Schwartzman's in it. Like I'm excited for certain yeah. aspects of it. Like Angelica Houston is back in a Wes Anderson film. I think as a narrator, sure. but at least she's there. Like and the cast, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's almost at the point now, like anything he puts out, I've, I've got to go see. Depending yeah, on of course. I like By it. the way, when you said Roman Coppola, my brain went to Noah Baumbach and I realized you said Roman Coppola. But that's why I, for, yeah, the Noah Baumbach stuff is the, the best stuff for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to go and watch it, obviously, and like see how I ever try to kind of like suspend any kind of like, <laughs> well, it's not, it's not old Wes Madison. I'm just going to go in here and be pissed off already. Um, but, but yeah. Um, so uh, this final pick <laughs> is, <laughs> uh, man, I think there's something that, so the inflated self of this, the inflated sense of self-importance is just so perfectly done in this track. It's, I mean, there's, there's, there's like facial expressions that I can do, which kind of like <laughs> signify it, which it's, is perfect for this audio medium. Um, but yeah, it's just like, um, it's just, so, it's like, it feels really serious and it's so not, it's just so like fun and like silly. Uh, but it's amazing as well. I love this piece of music, especially when it goes from the, like the very kind of like electronic stuff at the beginning. Mm-hmm to the more kind of like orchestral um like small band stuff later on it's just i i cannot wait to play this live it's i'm really excited to do it so this is ping island slash lightning strike rescue up And this is one, again, that um, perfectly melds, like you said about that switch, between music that is created by the characters within the Life Aquatic and kind of yeah. Mark Mothersbaugh stepping in as a composer, right? Like, cause all yeah. of this stuff- you can imagine, you can imagine like Steve Zizou with, um, is it Wolodarsky? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Who is the composer? Him being like, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah wait roll it back yeah, yeah it's good okay put put it in the headphones so, so what like what is creating that um because it's got that like re- like if you listen to it on headphones and loud it's got like what sounds like almost like i don't know like like old school drum machines going on and this kind of like warbling bass as well do you like what what do you know what the kind of instrumentation is on this so, electronic part? So I think, um, and I got this up here to remind myself, it's uh, the Oberheim two-voice analog synthesizer was a large part of the kind of like sonic creation uh, on this. Oberheim's are so lovely sounding. Um, and I think there's like, yeah, a lot of really cool kind of like layered synth work mm-hmm. happening in it um at the beginning and uh i guess i don't know what the drum machine is is maybe potentially like a simmons mm-hmm. i need to look into it um to remind myself 
Uh, I remember looking at it ages ago. It's either a Simmons or like a 909. Yeah, yeah. I think I used a 909 uh, machine to um, uh, for the demos. Amazing. Uh, and like the, yeah. I think, I think it's because it, it doesn't sound like an 808. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's just really, it's just as like a piece of electronic music at the beginning. It's just really, really, really cool use of like, uh, analog synthesizers that you wouldn't really hear that much mm -hmm. like outside of this. And it, and it does that thing again, where it messes about with motif. Cause obviously we get that, like, played on like all the kind of sounds like a, a synth kind of glitching out almost and then that is like, yeah i think it's got like a little like um uh it's got the arpeggiator yeah, yeah, yeah. on it and just that I and mean, once again that's how i did it on there I, <laughs> I did two different layers one with an arpeggiator and one without to get that but and then that, and then when it comes to that yeah that's sorry, that's them replicated like via strings right kind of like yeah, yeah. which ah it's beautiful like it's kind of yeah it's fun he's doing what like a composer would do throughout a whole score in one piece of music right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah totally totally it was really fun working out how to make that stuff work for live as well just like getting um so for the violin um getting the uh the violinist uh guy called oscar asking him to uh get a delay pedal at like at the right bpm Amazing. so it's that slightly off it's like a i think in um in triplets against the actual tempo of the song and then hitting certain notes to get that boom a little 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 doing a little 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 that crazy sound so it, it this this song particularly was like an awesome puzzle to try and uh try and put together because of some of the, out, the outlandish um uh compositional decisions yeah was, was it was, was this kind of the track i think you talked about earlier like the kind of one where it's like if we can get this kind of down pat we can kind of work out the rest of it or was like it was there a track for you guys as wes banson where it's like we need to if we can conquer this one then everything else will be a breeze uh no, I, not not really. I think I mean, the guys are just such the guys are just such ridiculously good musicians. Uh, I'm I'm so like uh, humbled mm -hmm. and proud to have them uh, doing this like vanity <laughs> project for me. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm paying them well. Um, we luckily we I got funding from the Arts Council. Amazing. Um, so that's that that's definitely helping out. Um, but uh but yeah no i think they're they're all like they're all very capable at, at yeah, doing uh, it and there's there's gonna be a... well more for you was that was there one where you like if i can figure this one out then it will be like a a bit of a breeze do you know what i mean when it came to that demo i mean like to, to be honest i actually i got a lot i got a lot better at um uh like um my brain has just gone blank <laughs> when you work out a trans uh, transcribing yes. transcribing i got a lot better at transcribing and um uh orchestration from doing this project nice. so the, at the beginning i was just like i can't hear what that piano is doing i have no idea <laughs> i'm gonna have to ask i have to ask miles and miles was like i've already done i'm, I'm finished <laughs> like this, this is not my job. I was like, oh, fuck, I have to do this myself. So, um, so there were, there were a few tracks where I was like, I, I can't actually hear what's going on here. It's beyond my ability to work out these chords. Um, 
but through doing that i've definitely gotten a hell of a lot better at um uh, yeah that that kind of like tra uh, transcribing kind of like larger groups of instruments mm -hmm. and also then arranging that for six because there's six of us so it's taking a lot of these pieces and working out okay there's six of us obviously only one person can play one instrument at a time except for if you're on a keyboard instrument which means you've got two hands that can kind of do stuff uh so how does this all work between six people kind of swapping instruments yeah so um yeah like obviously this one was a challenge to work out some of the faster bits mm. but yeah i think um I'm, I'm really excited about people seeing what we've what what we've been able to do as a as a six piece with this stuff amazing well um it perfectly leads me on to saying yeah where can people find out about wes banson and where you guys are playing in the upcoming future so uh for those in london we have a show on the 7th of december at saint matthias church in stoke newington um and for those in brighton on the south coast we have uh three shows uh on the 4th 5th and 6th the preceding days to the london show uh, of december at the old market in brighton slash hove um go to wesbanderson.com for tickets or uh at wesbanderson on the uh socials uh yeah that's where you can find us and um yeah i think it's one where you're going to hear a lot of music that perhaps you don't really, <laughs> I guess, like cognitively, you don't kind of like recognize straight away, but you'll listen to it and you'll suddenly go like, oh, that's from this section of this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. And we've, we've kind of like taken that we've, we've taken some stuff and done kind of like quite fun arrangements with it, added, taken a couple of like orchestral things and done more of like, uh, like an up, like an up-tempo like jazz kind of mm -hmm. thing with it and it's all yeah i think people will be pleasantly surprised with the uh the the, the tune selection perfect well um yeah where can people keep up to date with you as well obviously like you've yeah you've, you've released an amazing like ep recently and like oh, any more you. music you've got coming out in the future where, where can people find so, you so yeah, find me uh, at Adams Naidi, A-D-A-M-Z-N-A-I-D-I, if you like kind of like aggressive, like batshit crazy jazz fusion, and uh, <laughs> like thunder, like Thundercat meets Frank Zappa kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I've just released a, uh, an EP, which uh, is going to take a listen, and I'm just finishing off a second one. And yeah, there's some fun stuff in the old pipe lean perfect perfect well so, uh, yeah adam thank you so much for coming and chatting to me all about the music of wes anderson this has been so much fun man thank <laughs> you so much for having me on and yeah I, i'm very much up for coming back and either doing a nick cage deep dive or another kind of like copper collection deep dive oh oh i will i will sizzle it right here adam will be returning for I guess something that ties slightly into the Wes Anderson camp. Let's think of a, of a of a of a short uh, Coppola uh, California writing uh, Wes Anderson occasionally mustached. Yeah, he cut his teeth on a Wes Anderson film. You can piece it together, guys. But Adam will be back. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, yeah. 
thank you very much and uh thank you to all your listeners for making it this far A massive thank you to Adam for coming and chatting to me all about his picks of Wes Anderson music. Um, yeah, just going to reiterate as well. Um, go check out Wes Anderson. The clips they've put up on socials are fantastic. For a six-piece to kind of create the music they've created and kind of rework these songs to fit that kind of uh, dynamic is phenomenal i will certainly be there either at one of the brighton shows or the london show to check them out in the flesh but uh yeah i can't wait um and i i really hope you enjoyed this if if you missed out on that tweet i put out and uh want to throw in some of your picks or your your opinions on wes anderson films or especially the french dispatch please do please uh hit me up on all the social medias so that is twitter instagram facebook and letterboxd all at the at (laughs) caged in pod or you can drop me an email which is caged in pod at gmail.com if you want to go long form you want to really go long on it you really want to put the boot in say this is what i think is bad about what you're doing over on that there podcast i'm I'm always happy to hear it. If that's uh, what, what, what you want to do. Um, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can. You can either buy me a coffee, which is ko-fi.com forward slash caged in pod. You can just chuck me three pound, two pound, whatever you want. You just want to buy me a one-off coffee. That would be great. Or if you want to do an ongoing payment, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can get some bonus chats every now and then all about Nicolas Cage when we talk about the couple of films or or and and I should not or <laughs> there will be a new podcast starting very very soon essentially it's going to be like a uh, a sister podcast to this but exclusively with Patreons called Movie Brat Bros where I'm looking at the films of Brian De Palma Martin Scorsese William Friedkin Spielberg george lucas the list the list is pretty long and kind of uh putting them up against france ford coppler and yeah having, having a bit of fun with that kind of looking at that 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 school that kind of uh graduating class of of cinema from that time and how they compare to big boy francis himself uh, as for next week on the podcast i got a mammoth chat with Liam H. Dempsey of the fantastic Spotlight podcast all about Rocky Free, And Liam does not disappoint. He comes in heavy. He comes in hard. He comes in swinging with an absolute dynamite, dynamite fan theory about this and the Dark Knight Rises. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, it's possibly one of my favourite episodes of the podcast. It's kind of uh, the episode itself has this brilliant kind of third act twist that, that that in the room kind of blew my mind and hopefully will blow your mind as well so do be sure to check that out next tuesday so as ever guys i have been petros pat syllabus 
your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in, and I'll catch you next time. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Drip Town Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.